0: how fast two weeks goes when you're having fun and you're on vacation, right? We are now back and, well, we're now here. I don't know that I'm back yet. Um, We're all suffering from jet lag and being in a different time zone and so forth. But Denny and Laura and Dan and Lori and... Dan and Anita, we had a wonderful time in Hawaii together. Um, if you've never traveled with the Dexters, I highly recommend it. Uh, by the end of our week, I was calling Lori, Mom. <laughs> she was taking care of me like nobody else, picking up after me, watching to make sure that I didn't make any mistakes. They even saved my phone from a, a fate worse than death. And so I do so much appreciate uh, them and, and getting a chance to play games with them and worship with them in a little chapel on, on the boat and, and seeing a state that many of you have seen that is very beautiful. Uh, Denny and Laura have now clicked off all 50 United States with their visit to Hawaii I'm down to one hand and, and making inroads into that. I still haven't been to Louisiana. I don't know why, I just never got down through there. Uh, always stopped at Texas. Oh, and Oklahoma. I've never been to Oklahoma. Nevada, New Mexico, and North Dakota, five. So sometime hopefully before I go underneath the sod I want to visit those five places and Hawaii is a wonderful place to to visit and it's a it's a wonderful series of islands and the people are just wonderful there the the food is well, you can tell what the food is I mean I got 6 weeks docs I don't see you for 6 weeks okay And so I'm going to I'm going to by a substitute to go in and visit you on the day that he's going to be dressed like me and he's going to use my name and, and so forth and so on. But it's, it's glad to, we're glad to be back. I'm glad for Derek and for Chuck who filled in and, and presented to you lessons that I'm sure were of benefit to this congregation. We're down to about 40 days or so before our new minister, Mark Newton, and his family arrive here on the 15th. 14th, 15th of June, and we are uh, if we're half as excited as they are about coming, it's going to be a good uh, opportunity and, and a good experience. I hope you can remember what I was preaching on before I left, because I don't, but I mean, God with us. Today you're going to hear and see why I came up with this Series because we're going to finally get to one of the verses that we often use, uh, that, that we reflected on on our Hawaii trip. Matthew, where it says, Where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. What we've been trying to do with this series is to, to feel and get close to the presence of God more than, better than, we have historically. And and I hope you understand that I'm doing it for my benefit as well as, as for you. We need and want to feel closer to the presence of God. Isaiah 64, we started off that Eric read for us, has the idea of humans. His request to God there in the very first verse is, God, I wish you would... Rend. I wish you would tear heavens open and apart and come down and visit with us. And come down and make your presence known. When I was we were on the Hawaiian trip and we were on the island of Molokai, I read of a leper colony there in a a little small village called Kilawayo. I don't know how many years it had been in existence, but it goes back into history. It was operated by a man by the name of Damon. He was an unusual man, and he's attending to the needs of these lepers. And he's not very particular about his sanitary situation, He dips his fingers in the poi bowl with them. He wraps their legs and arms and things in bandages and doesn't wash his hands afterwards. He gets rather down and dirty and personal with these individuals, and he does so for 16 years. One Sunday he gets up to preach as was his custom, and he starts off his lesson by saying, We... Lepers. Wonder why he started his lesson that way. I'm sure that he had found a spot on his skin and he knew what leprosy was and he was no longer treating and helping people in a leper colony. He was what? He was a leper himself. That's the way God was many, many, many years ago. After humans had sinned and were suffering the punishment of sin, death, God came down and it was almost like He was saying, we lepers, I'm with you now, I'm here. And I'm going to help you with your sin problem. I'm going to solve it for you, I'm going to die for you, which is what the punishment of sin is, death. And so I'm going to be with you. And we see it in Jesus. How he came down and he was the satisfaction for our sins. Many people didn't recognize him, obviously. We had that sermon on Waldo, how plain and ordinary and inconspicuous the God that came down was how difficult it was to find Waldo in the situation and circumstances of life because he was plain and ordinary. Partly the reason we missed, or the human race missed, when Jesus came down was the fact that they were probably looking for something of more substance, some bigger show, some mighty work, some pizzazz, some special effects. They didn't really expect Jesus to come down or the Messiah to come down in such an ordinary and plain form. And so they missed Him. But it was not all because of their ignorance, but partly because of their pride that they missed seeing Jesus when He first came down. When He had completed the work, and he was about to return to be with God the Father, he said to them that the Holy Spirit would come after him, and that he would be a benefit to them, and that they could be comforted by him. They would be a new community formed, and this new community would be the body of Christ through which his presence would be extended and known. Now that gets us to the scriptures that we were talking about. Matthew what is it 20? Matthew 18:20. Two or three are gathered in my name there I am in the midst of them. Now, I don't know what the count is here this morning. Is God here? Is God's presence here? Do we feel him when we come to worship? If two or three, when they gather together and they think about Jesus, why can't 80 or 90 feel? Why do we have such a difficult time feeling the presence of God? One of my favorite scriptures is Matthew 25. As much as you've done it unto me, or done it unto them, you've done it what? Unto me. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. We turn to Acts 8, and Saul was terrorizing and, and torturing the, the New Testament Christians. He was on his way to Damascus with authority to go and capture them and, and punish them, put them in prison, kill them if necessary. And on the way, Jesus speaks to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, where was Jesus? He had ascended to heaven already sitting at the right hand of God. And yet Jesus speaks down to Saul and says, you're persecuting me, Saul. Why was Saul persecuting Jesus? Because he was persecuting the church, the body of Christ, the place in which God's presence is supposed to be, Following Jesus' ascension into heaven. Paul says, Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The church, then, is essentially Waldo Jr. We look at the church, we look at the people of the church, we see their flaws, we see their problems, we see their issues. And we say to ourselves, there is no way that God is living here. Because if God were living here, people wouldn't say this. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't go here. They wouldn't do this. They wouldn't do that. So Jesus was hard to see the first time that He came down. He's even harder to see looking for Waldo Jr. in the midst of the church, the body of Christ that he left behind for us to emulate Jesus. In Scripture, we often see how God mediates His presence and sends messages through other people. God sent Nathan to, Daniel, uh, to uh, David. David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Nathan goes and tells him a story and saw, uh, David is enraged at the story Nathan is telling him. And what does Nathan say to him? Thou art the man. God was using Nathan. He didn't have to go directly to David. He used Nathan to go and point out the issue with David. Esther was encouraged by her uncle Mordecai when he said, Who knows, but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. He blessed Mary and Joseph while Jesus was in the womb with a prophet named Simeon who came and told them their child was to be great because it had been foretold to him that he would not see death in Luke 2 until he had seen the Messiah, the Christ. God advised Moses through his father-in-law Jethro. So in some ways we may not fully understand how God is talking to us, who God is using to speak to us, We may not understand God's presence because some of the people that we interact with, we come to -to face-to-face with, we may not like very well. We may not get along with them very well. Our personalities may not be the, the same thing. And yet God uses these people to leave us and show us His presence. There's a classic example of this found in 2 Kings chapter 5. It's about a man named Naaman. You've heard it many times before. He's a big shot. He's the commander of the, the army of the king of Syria. He's just defeated Israel. He's just killed the king of Israel. He's just brought captives back from Israel. And he was a very valiant man. If you wanted to Something done in the area of army and battle. Naaman was the guy. But the Bible says what? He was a leper. He was a leper. And a small girl, a slave, Bible calls her a servant, but what she was was an Israelite slave that Naaman had been uh, captured and br- uh, brought back And who was waiting and serving his wife says, Oh, that he were to go back to Israel and find the prophet who could do what? Cure him of his leprosy. Now, it didn't take Naaman very long to say, Okay, I gotta go. He didn't have to be convinced. You know, if if we got a letter in the mail that said there is a new miracle drug in California that would cure MS, that it was guaranteed, that it had great results, do you think we would take the letter and throw it in the garbage can and ignore it? Absolutely not. What would we do? We would go. This is the the situation that Naaman finds himself in. He's a big shot, and a little slave girl is telling him, you need to go, not telling him, telling his wife, you need to tell your husband to go to Israel and let the prophet in Israel cleanse him of his leprosy. And so he goes and asks his boss, the king of Syria, I need to go to Israel. And I need letters of authority to go to Israel because they're going to think that I'm coming there to war with them again. And so he takes all of these shekels and coins of silver and changes of clothes and he takes this entourage and he goes back to Israel and he finds the prophet that he's been told to seek, Elisha, the one who's he's been told that will cure him from his leprosy, And he goes and he stands. He stands at the door of Elisha. He doesn't go knock. He doesn't call out. He goes and he stands. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly why he stands. I'm going to tell you what I think. You can accept it or not. This man is a prideful man. He's important. He's commander of the army. He's got a lot of wealth. He's got a lot of prestige. He's got a lot of connections. And so I come and I present myself to Elisha. And I stand. Elisha, here I am. What does Elisha do? Does he jump up? Does he run out? Does he humble himself before Naaman? He doesn't even get out of his chair. He goes over and and he calls to his own messenger or his own servant or his own assistant and says, go tell him to dip in the Jordan seven times. And so that's what his messenger does. Naaman's standing there, a messenger comes out, one who Naaman probably thought wasn't even worthy to be in his presence, and he's telling him, go dip in the Jordan seven times. Now, if you know this section, you know what Naaman's reaction was. He gets angry. He goes into a rage Look who I am. Look what I've done. I've come and you treat me this particular way. I certainly expected a big, what we used to call it, GE, a big dog and pony show. You may not know what a dog and pony show is, but it's when the, the people from corporate call you a couple of weeks in advance and they say, We're coming to Louisville and we're going to inspect your stuff. And oh, by the way, it happens to be derby at the end of the week. And so we want to be entertained and we want to be taken to the derby and we want to be treated like the royalty that we are because we are what? We're corporate. And so we moved heaven and earth. We painted, we swept the floor, we cleaned everybody up, we fired all the bad-looking people... I don't know why I didn't get fired, now that I think about it, And we had this dog and pony show when they came in. Look and see what we are doing, how wonderful we are, and how wonderful you are. Thanks for coming all the way up from uh, down from corporate and being down here in Louisville with poor old humble us. And Naaman was enraged. I thought, sure. I thought for sure that Elisha would come out and do some big set of fireworks, do this great big ordeal. And even what he tells me to do, aren't there many, many rivers back in my own home country that are cleaner than this old muddy river of Jordan? Oh his pride is crushed. Elisha has treated him rudely. He sent a messenger to heal him. And so he goes away in a huff. He's mad. He's not listening to what he's been told. He's not had his expectations met, so he's he's angry. And so his servants are saying, "Wow. He told you to do, just go over to Jordan and dip seven times. That that doesn't look like that's too big a deal. And so they they get enough courage. I don't know whether they drew straws or the guy who got the short straw. You go tell him. No, I ain't telling him. No, you go tell him. No, I ain't going to tell him. And they said to Naaman, if he had told you to do some big thing, would you not have done it? Well, sure. So how much more if it's some little thing, like going and dipping in the Jordan seven times? Go and be cleansed. So we've got a slave girl telling Naaman to go. We've got a messenger, an assistant of Elisha, telling him what to do. And then we've got his own personal servants, telling Naaman he should have done it. Now Naaman's got connections, he's got wealth, he's got a network, and he wants to use his wealth and his connections to buy back his health and save his life. A very simple plan. I get my way, I get my healing, because of who I am. Now the king of Israel, to whom Naaman went, he thinks he's being set up for failure. Who am I to participate in your healing? And so he rips his clothes off. He rends his clothes. And that's what caused Elisha to say, send him to me that he may know there is a prophet in Israel, God tries that final time to get Naaman to feel His presence. The servants are bold enough; they're very tactful. "My father," they say, "where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them." God may come to us, God may speak to us through the tiniest of messengers, for the lowliest of people, from the sickest on the earth. It's important that we, we tap in and listen to the voices of the less smart and the less powerful than we think we are. It's important that we get into the middle of the mighty, muddy Jordan River and do what God has asked us to do to feel his presence and to share his experience. I'm going to end with four initials. C-I-H-U. Can I help you? That needs to be our prayer. Can I help you? Not be Naaman. And look how important I am. How significant I am. Why doesn't God come and show to me the respect that I am due and heal me in the way that I want to be healed with the show that I have desired. But rather to say, how can I help you? you know, many, many times as we have gotten through this, we've talked about all of these people that are standing on the street corners with, with these signs about needing help and you know we discount them an awful lot as being people that, that we don't really want to associate with or are really help because what we think or what we perceive is their issue and their problem and God keeps putting God keeps putting these people in front of me Thursday night at Walmart right there in front With my granddaughter in the seat, there was a man there who had bandages all over his body, blood running down, everything, and he held up at his side. I'm injured. And I'm going, oh, what do I do with this? How can I leave my grandchild alone in the car to go and and listen to that guy? And then as I drive away, I'm saying, preacher, heal thyself. You get up on Sunday morning and you say, we need to pay attention to the people. We need to listen to God who's talking to us. And here I am being talked to by God and I want to shun him or I want to turn him off or I want to say, I know what that guy's situation is. I know how he got there. I know he's doing something honorary or wrong or whatever. We need to take... The attitude. We are the body of Christ here on earth. We are the Bible that some people are only going to see through our lives. What right do I have? So look at a man standing on the side of the corner with a sign maybe because 9 out of 10 of them are ornery rascals to not Say to him, how can I help you? What is it that you need today? What I need today is to get these obstacles out of my life that allow me not to feel the presence of God when two or three or 50 or 100 of us are gathered together because God is here talking to us if you have a need this morning, if you decide to respond to the invitation of our Lord, won't you come right now while we stand and sing this song?